Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. Today we're concluding our series, I Am Truly Canadian, with a message called Celebrating the Gospel in Canada. So let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Over the centuries, Christians have struggled to understand the intersection between their faith and their culture. And of course, the two will always be interrelated. We live out our faith in a very real cultural context. And as the cultures of this world vary greatly, so do our responses as believers. What we embrace and what we reject is a response to what we find around us. But of course, our culture also influences us. You know, as an example, go to India and you will find an expectation that many marriages are arranged. Well, here in Canada, we've published Christian books on dating as if dating is a subject that's found in the Bible. So because of our culture, we assume we will make an individual, not a family choice about marriage. And we often read biblical passages about marriage through the lens of that experience. And so how we sometimes read a Bible text is colored by what we experience in our culture. Since this is a week that we've been celebrating the 150th anniversary of the birth of the nation of Canada, it seemed good to both the leadership of Back to the Bible Canada and to myself to join into a thoughtful celebration. How should we Christians think about our nation? How should we react to our nation? Should we be patriotic? Should we be reactionary? What's our place and what should be our interaction with the country that is our home and native land? Now, before we push forward, I want to talk about historic ways in which Christians have interacted with the cultures in which they live. Some Christians in times past have thought about the intersection of faith to culture in terms of the politics of power. To put it in our terms, it goes something like this. We need to vote for a Christian prime minister into office. You might be someone who thinks that way, and you might be someone who rejects that kind of thinking, and that's the challenge. Sometimes serious Christians find themselves at odds with each other in terms of how we think we should respond to the culture as a whole. And so a little story is in order. It was the year AD 313. In that year, the Roman emperor, a man by the name of Constantine, issued a very famous decree. The decree was called the Edict of Milan. This was a proclamation throughout the Roman Empire that established religious toleration for Christians. In essence, this edict put the Christian faith on par with all of the other religions in the Roman Empire. Once and for all, the Roman Empire had declared that the day of the persecution of Christians was over. This was for many Christians a day in which they had longed for and prayed for and earnestly worked for. And now it had become a reality. Many Christians were openly in tears and many held services of thanksgiving to God who had in his mercy brought this day into being. But here's what's surprising, especially to those who have never heard of these events. There have been many who have regarded the events that followed this edict as the fall of Christianity. But why and how? Well, as years progressed, Constantine's endorsement of the new faith began to expand. In time, and by the time of Constantine's death, Christianity became the religion of the Roman Empire. In time, the world would have been turned upside down, and soon it was the Christians' turn to persecute other religions. And with that comes a most unique marriage, the marriage of the church and the state. 
Once that marriage is complete, one begins to establish so-called Christian lands and so-called heathen lands. The idea of Christendom was then born, and Christendom becomes associated with a certain culture. In time, Europe would be seen as the heart of Christendom. And from a certain perspective, all that seems just fine. But from another perspective, nothing has served more to hinder the advancement of the gospel than the idea of Christendom. All manner of cultures and countries of the world began to view Christianity not in terms of what it was, but in terms of what it seemed like to them, an import of Western culture. But there's more. Within Christendom itself, the the gospel of Jesus was taking quite a beating. When everyone born in Europe is considered a Christian and, and baptized soon after birth, What is there left about conviction of sinfulness and and the need for an individual gospel that will transform the heart? Indeed, you're a Christian if you're a European. I mean, that kind of language becomes oppressive. And soon those within the culture who are not Christian are seen either as persons of suspicion or they become objects of persecution. And one need only to think of such horrors as the Spanish Inquisition. I mean, the Spanish Inquisition was not Christian, but it was about power and suppression of others and a perversion of everything that was taught by Jesus. What I am suggesting is that with the advent of Christendom, the gospel is lost both at home and in the heathen lands of the world. I think that is a lesson from history. Beware of worldly power. It corrupts. So then, What should we Christians hope for as Canada celebrates her 150th birthday? Michael Haken helped us see that at Confederation, about 90% of Canadians would have thought of themselves as Christians. And then, said Haken, came three events that changed all of that. The first was the First World War. The second, the adoption of liberal theology in, in so many of the mainline churches. And that was the reason for their demise. And the third was the social upheaval of the 60s and the 70s and the inability of the church to stress spiritual reality rather than outward conformity to rules. You know, I remember as a boy hearing a sermon about Absalom caught in a tree because of his long hair. And, and, and with that came the warning and instruction to go out and get a haircut. And with that, Christian Canada unraveled. In the province of Quebec, when the government severed ties with the Catholic Church, the backlash to Catholic abuse of political power was so severe that Catholic cathedrals emptied out in a matter of weeks. So I'm back to the question. What now, at 150 years of Canada, are Christian people to think? What is our place in this land that has so quickly developed, leaving us devoid of national traditions and a spiritual center? You know, as a way of beginning, let's, let's read Romans 13, 1 to 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience." For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, 
taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. You know, I'll not do a complete exposition on that verse. I, I'll leave that to another time when, when I'm teaching from the book of Romans. But I want to notice several things. Those in authority is a reference to government. Those who are in positions of legitimate authority and power in a local nation. Paul is not referencing what kind of a government exists, only that government exists and that the existence of human governments have been instituted by God. Paul uses, at least to some of us, unusual language. He says, God appointed, God's servants, carrying out God's wrath ministers of God. This is how God views our government and government in general. See, from that, we are led to believe that there are several institutions in human society that find their origination in God. Marriage is one such institution. I mean, so is church, for this was brought into being by Christ himself through his sacrifice on the cross. But here in Romans, we find that it was God's will to institute human government. Now, if we're not careful, we might think that government only exists because of sin, but a little thought should reveal to us that's actually not so. If there were no sin in the world, there would still be need for government. See, on the one hand, government is merely the organization of human society. Without sin, we would still have to decide which side of the road to drive on. For example, government is organization. But with the onset of sin, government plays the role of providing terror for wrongdoers. See, in this sense, government is a part of God's program of common grace. It's God's provision of mercy for the human race. He gives it to human beings because of his love for all. By providing human government, God's blessing to the human race is the very thing that protects the weak and prosecutes wrongdoers and allows us to live free from fear. Years ago, I was on a ride along with an RCMP officer, and I was amazed at the volume of crime he dealt with on one night. And I've never stopped giving thanks that he and those men and women who served with him stood in the way between me and evil. Thank God for government. Now is the time to register for Back to the Bible Canada's Celebration Caribbean Cruise this February 2018. Nine days upon Royal Caribbean's freedom of the seas, enjoying all that an incredible cruise ship has to offer, and do so while being encouraged and inspired by the Bible teaching of Dr. John Newfeld, laughter and encouragement by Laugh Again's Phil Calloway, and wonderful music and worship with guests Shane and Angela Weeb. Bring friends, bring family for this great vacation experience, and make sure to register soon to avoid disappointment. Back to the Bible Canada's Celebration Cruise, February 2018. For more information or to register, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. And remember that all of our ministry vacation events or tours are funded exclusively by the participants and no ministry resources are used for this purpose. Canada is a democracy governed by a constitution. I mean, we have a Bill of Rights and Freedoms that protects us. Now, we're not a pure democracy, for if we were a pure democracy, then at any point in time, the majority 
could decide to persecute whoever was out of favor, including us as Christians. But no such vote can be held in this country, for the democratic will of the people can't overrule the Canadian Bill of Rights and Freedoms. And so as governments go, there is so much to be thankful for in Canada, enough to make us want to respond with gratefulness. Those of you who heard my interview with Dr. John Redekop will remember he, he quoted a number of Bible texts. Of genuine interest to me was Dr. Redekop's quote of John 19, verse 11. Jesus is standing before Pilate and, and says to him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Indeed, Jesus, even at his crucifixion, acknowledged the reality of government. But that still leaves us with a question of how Christians should respond to the nation in which we live. Well, our first reaction to our culture is that we should see ourselves as citizens of two kingdoms. And Scripture seems to indicate that's so. On the one hand, Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is this citizenship that defines our ultimate loyalty. As the apostle said in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. And so it is the case that there really is a place for legitimate opposition to some government policies. The Christian morality is not that we are blind followers, whatever a government proposes we do. And it is at this juncture at a nation that several issues ought to deeply concern us. Of special interest to me personally are the, the issues of the value of life, both in abortion and now in actively ending the lives of those who want to die. I think we should be greatly concerned for Christian medical doctors who may be told that they have to refer a patient who wants to end their lives. Now, there are reasons to challenge government at a number of levels. And yet, according to the passage in Romans that we've read, we also know that we are required to pay all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. And we owe respect and honor to our home and native land. And if you're a Christian today and have not honored the earthly country of your citizenship, well, you are an heir. According to our God, you owe honor to this, your country, even while your ultimate citizenship is in heaven. And so, as citizens of two kingdoms, we find ourselves sometimes hard-pressed. Yes, there really are times when these two loyalties are in conflict, and in those times of conflict, we do obey God rather than men. But we are not rebels, and we do actively seek both to show respect to those in power and also to honor our nation. For we believe that Canada's existence is because of the sovereign and gracious designs of our God. A second reaction to our country seems to be at odds with what I've just said, but it's really not. We might, from a biblical perspective, also see our faith in direct opposition to our culture and our country. Let me explain. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. And then two verses later, verse 17, John adds, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Without defining fully what John means by the world, he must mean that as a part of the definition, the things that don't last. And there are so many parts of Canada that don't last. Our Constitution will not survive the coming kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that leads me to a third reaction to living in this country. Dr. Redekop spoke about the necessity of a prophetic voice. 
In essence, he was simply voicing the wider concerns of Jesus himself. In Matthew 5.13, Jesus is speaking to those who have become a part of his kingdom, and he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, here's one example. In our day, salt is what we put on food to enhance the taste. And so it really is possible through the lens of our culture to think that Jesus is teaching us that the presence of his followers in a culture changes the flavor of that culture or changes some of the basic ways that our culture deals with others or so forth. But in Jesus' day, that's not how they thought about salt. Because there was no refrigeration, salt wasn't an add-on. It was a preservative. The image is of a culture and a society that is in decay. If there is no salt, the decay will continue. See, we believe that the presence of Christians in Canada and the hearing of the Word of God and the message of Jesus and of His love is essential. For if that is not heard, many things that are good and decent will disappear, leading to the decay of our culture. Consider as one example, the example Dr. Redekop gave yesterday of what has been called tolerance. Tolerance is the ability to deeply disagree with someone and yet to protect them nonetheless, to allow them to say what they want. This is premised on Jesus' commands to love our enemies and to do good to them. But in our day, tolerance has taken on a new meaning, that is, in our culture. The new meaning is that there are certain forms of behavior we should now agree with and celebrate, especially in relationship to sexuality, and if we do not do it, we are considered intolerant. You know, it was Hannah Arndt who said, the most radical revolutionary will become a conservative the day after the revolution. And so it has been with the sexual revolution. At one time, it was fighting for acceptance, but now it is fighting that the historic biblical form of sexual faithfulness within marriage only, that that be seen as an extremism and anyone advocating it be labeled as hate speech. See, those who disagree are said to be intolerant. But we as believers need not fear. For one, we are called upon to love our enemies. And second, we've always believed that ours is a prophetic voice calling people to God and calling them to live in such a way that brings good into their lives. And furthermore, the gospel of Jesus Christ is truth. It is truth when it tells us that the human condition is a lot worse than we had ever imagined. And yet it is also truth when it tells us that the God who has created us loves us, even in our sin, and provides for us the means of forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation and grace. And this is the best possible news for Canada. The prevalence of the gospel at the foundation of our nation set the stage for a society of freedom and justice and order and responsible government. It is the legacy that the gospel has left behind that we celebrate. But if the gospel disappears, all of that disappears as well, and persecution again rears its ugly head. Now, before I end this week of celebrating 150 years as a nation, I want to end by giving thanks. I want to thank God for Canada. For one, in our 150 years as a nation, we have lived at peace. Yes, we have had our wars, but they were fought overseas and not in our home and native land. This nation was forged not with wars, but with treaties, with negotiation, an attempt of English and French and Protestant and Catholic to find a way to live in harmony. 
You know, I've been in many countries in the world, and I marvel. There are countries that hardly ever see peace, but see constant conflict. We have, by the mercy of our God, been spared. Even our wonderful neighbors to the south have seen first a war of independence and then a most savage civil war resulting in a a horrifying death toll and the struggle of a deeply divided nation is still even felt today. See, on the other hand, we've had referendums and, and probably discussions until we all got sick of them, but we've found a way forward and we've remained united as a nation that has been blessed with one of the rarest commodities in human history the commodity of peace. And we've been blessed with natural resources that have made this nation one of the breadbaskets of the earth, one of the richest nations in terms of our natural resources. Furthermore, our landscape is stunning. From the towering Rockies to the oceans on three coasts, to vast golden grain fields, to the splendor of Niagara Falls, the rich farmland alongside the mighty St. Lawrence Seaway the great Canadian shield, the the brown muskeg of the Arctic, the glaciers that flowed into St. John's Harbor, the rich red soil of Prince Edward Island, the staggeringly splendid northern lights that pulse across the northern sky that seem to leap and dance and sing, the seemingly endless stretches of untouched wilderness, places of flourishing wildlife, from mountain goats to polar bears, the list goes on and on. It seems to me that this land called Canada is perhaps the most blessed land on earth today. At 150 years, would you join me and say, thank you, God, for this nation called Canada. John, I thought that was an incredible way to conclude our week of celebration of Canada, 150 years as a nation, a fantastic country which we're blessed to live in. But I thought it was really intriguing, your description sort of of the nature of salt and who we are as salt in the earth. Can you help us understand that a little bit more again? You know, very often we hear uh, liberal media saying that really faith ought to be a privatized matter and that the very serious business of running the country ought to be left to politicians and keep the church away from it. But in reality, it is the very values that we profess and the gospel of mercy that we profess that profoundly changes the way that we think of a nation as, as a nation. I also think that Christianity is the only faith that allows others to express their faith uh, free of persecution. So there are reasons to celebrate. Thanks so much, John, and thanks for celebrating our nation's 150th birthday. Back to the Bible Canada, we teach the Bible. We teach the Bible. Simple, but profound and absolutely necessary. Our world, country, communities, neighborhoods need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ through the teaching of His Word, and we're committed to that purpose. May it be the teaching ministry of Dr. John Newfeld, Truth in Life Today, Laugh Again, In Doubt, or Back to the Bible Kids, engaging our nation with the Word of God is our mission. We pray you'd stand with us for this purpose, and you can do so and double your impact by participating in our July Ministry Match Campaign. That's right. In June, we had a match campaign provided by a group of ministry friends, and this same group has now made available an additional $70,000. So take the opportunity to double your impact. Every dollar you donate is matched up to $70,000. 
Make an investment in Bible teaching today. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or donate online at backtothebible.ca.